did I really see that? Um, did I really experience that? And, and you replay it in your mind over and over. And you know what? No matter what it is you decide, once you start asking those questions, having had that experience, it's okay. And the reason it's okay it's be, is because you did it alone. Nobody walked in there and told you nothing to see here, move right along. Or, no, you didn't really see this. You saw this other thing. Uh, hell with that. We, I'm sorry to be so blunt, but uh, we're shaking off those shackles of having been told what it is we're supposed to see. You know, we've been programmed. And waking up and getting deprogrammed can be a tough process. But, but you know, you, you eventually adjust and kind of enjoy having that power. Tonight, Costa McCreese, the founder of ETLetstalk.com and the People's Disclosure Movement. We're going to move one step closer to a healthier relationship between all life forms. That and more coming right up on My Alien Life. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? My Alien Life is recorded live from atop the Northern Rocky Mountains and is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. There you will find my email address, all previously recorded shows, and more. I am Cameron Brower. This is My Alien Life, and the podcast starts right now. tonight is the founder and facilitator of the People's Disclosure Movement, which contacts many benevolent star civilizations currently visiting the Earth. The movement bypasses governments and authoritative power structures by empowering people to interact directly with ET star beings in order to co-create with them a positive planetary transformation. Costa McCreese, thank you for joining me tonight and welcome. Thank you for having me on the program here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I have been watching you online and listening to you online, and, and uh, I couldn't wait to have you on the show, so I'm very, very excited. Um, as I mentioned before, you are the voice of the People's Disclosure Movement and ETLetstalk.com. Can you tell me about ETLetstalk.com and the community that you're involved with? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's a real passion and a, a wonderful community. We have... Uh, about 25,000 members in more than 100 countries and our purpose is uh, and has been to make daily, weekly and monthly contact 
with our uh, star friends, uh, positive star beings, uh, as part of our community and to uh, support each other as, as we do that. So this has been going on for, um, let's see, we, we launched about uh, in 2012. So we're, we're going on uh, seven years right now uh, with uh, the ET Let's Talk community and we're continually growing and teaching people how to make their own uh, contact, which is uh, simple and fun. Um, and people might ask, well, you know, to what end uh, uh, is all this? Well, once you teach people how to make contact, and believe me, it, it does it does successfully happen and happen in very many creative ways uh, because uh, we get reports all the time, we get videos, we get pictures. People do have experiences and they talk about it in the community and they share their stories. So we've known that we're onto something and we, we do it with a lot of genuine enthusiasm uh, for having our own experiences and then for teaching um, uh, someone else how to, how to do that and that's how we grow organically. Uh, the real end for all this has been to achieve the people's disclosure and that's why etletstalk.com and the ET Let's Talk community have sponsored uh, the people's disclosure movement. And as you have noted in your introduction, the, uh, the, this movement bypasses government and authoritarian structures and puts the power back into our hands, into the hands of the people. Uh, because one thing I discovered when I got into this field in, in, uh, in a deep way in 2006, when I had my very first up close and personal ET encounter, I discovered that everybody was talking about disclosure, disclosure. When is disclosure going to happen? Which government's going to do it? Aha, here, someone said something. Maybe it'll happen next week. Oops, it didn't happen. Maybe it'll happen next month. And this has been going on and churning in this way of, of waiting and waiting and looking for clues and trying to put pieces together to figure things out just uh, because people want to know when are we going to be announced that uh, or when are we going to have that announcement that disclosure has happened, that some government or some officials going to admit that they've been covering this up for 70 years and that finally they'll come out and say, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, ET has been here and we've been in contact, blah, 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 blah. So that's the big disclosure word, the D word in this community. And I discovered early on um, that I, I realized people had given their power away. And this, this really concerned me because I, as I grew up um, in the Midwest in the 60s and 70s, I came out of the social and political movements of, of the 60s and 70s um, as an activist. And I was, and, and the, um, the phrase back there was power to the people, you know, John Lennon wrote a song and all that. And it was, it was quite the meme and, and, and quite a powerful organizing phrase back then. And it struck me again, as far as what I was hearing about disclosure, that we, the people had given our power away, power to the people has gone away from the people because we have been waiting for the government to tell us what we already know that the ET, the star people have been here. So the people's disclosure movement is all about us taking that power that we gave away willingly back from the government to ourselves, joining with ourselves to do our own disclosure. And as we teach uh, 
our neighbor, our friend, our colleagues, um, family members, how to make their own contact and share our stories one by one. We have grown this movement in the people's disclosure movement to where we've done the disclosure ourselves. Uh, basically, we don't need anybody to make that announcement like, oh, yeah, they're here and we've been lying to you for years. How's that going to work for you? Uh, that'll just piss people off. I mean, they'll just, they already know that anyway. But with the people's disclosure, really, we've done the disclosure. Um, as a matter of fact, um, uh, I've been given information by the, the contacts I have with, with the star people that uh, the people's disclosure actually uh, succeeded early in 2019, that we achieved a critical mass big enough, uh, wide enough, with enough people who really believe in the positive ET presence in our skies, that at this point, there's no turning back. No government or other institutional authority can ever again cover it up because too many of us, number one, don't trust the authorities anymore. But more importantly, enough of us all over the world have seen and some interacted with uh, these different star civilizations that are visiting here. The, the, the cat's out of the bag. Uh, we already know. And we don't need someone to tell us. So that people's disclosure, I'm told, has succeeded. And where that's going to go, I can talk more, more about this as, as we go on uh, uh, during our conversation here about where we go next. But I'm making this announcement here for the very first time that the people's disclosure has succeeded. We have disclosure, and we did it ourselves. So I want everybody to sit up and pat themselves on the back because uh, it's been homegrown and it's been a long time coming for many years, but uh, we've done it and our numbers are huge. And I can talk about what those numbers are uh, even more again, as our discussion continues. Do you feel that uh, people like me and, and everybody else out there have a real need, a deep need and um, a need that is so profound that they won't be satisfied unless they hear from the U.S. government or some other government power in the United States? I can't speak for everybody. That's, that's a really good and insightful uh, question because you're really talking about what, um, what, what is the human being like inside? What are our wishes, our hopes, our dreams, our fears in, in general? And it's specific about this topic. Uh, when you mention needs, um, I'm guessing that there, there has been a, a real need for that uh, because this disclosure has been on the lips of so many people uh, for so many years that I, I think that's evidence that, that we have wanted to hear. But, but keep in mind that um, this is the thing about authorities. As more and more of us wake up and realize that the institutions that we used to believe in and that we wanted to go to, to tell us things and to tell us the truth have not been doing that. How many of us trust governments on, on any level about almost any topic? Um, and I'm not just talking about the U S but in other parts of the world. So we have kind of awakened from this need to have an authority tell us to have mom and dad tell us, uh, what the truth is because our eyes have been opened and we realize we've been lied to in so many ways, not just about this topic, but other topics. So once 
those uh, once uh, our eyes are open, we still have that need, and that's where I believe the people's disclosure movement has been able to step in and acknowledge, like, we still have a need to know. I want to know. I need to know. But now the difference is that uh, we are the power. We've taken the power, and that's a really good feeling when you realize you can take a, a lawn chair out alone or with a group um, someplace safe and do the protocols to make your own contact. And when you make that contact, you have done something utterly amazing. You have you know, really bypassed 70 years of cover-up, and you, re- you realize that you've had an experience that nobody can take away from you, no matter what they try to say. And that's what the People's Disclosure Movement, where, where its power really has been, is empowering every person like that and fulfilling the need that you're talking about. Suddenly, when you've seen and experienced something, and I had my own up close and personal experience, and I've had a few more after that, and I can talk about those. Once you have had an experience that's really profound like that of making contact with sentient beings from, uh, from the stars, you're never the same. Uh, you can maybe stuff it, hide it, because it's not safe uh, to talk about it, or you can get excited and want to jump on a rooftop and tell the whole world. It's a continuum. People fall from one end of that to the other. But at least uh, you've addressed that need. Your need to know has been satisfied when you've had your own experience like that, and you're just gobsmacked one way or the other. I think it's just a very, very... um curious thing <laughs> where we need to to have this validation by by somebody higher up um i don't know if it's because i wouldn't say it's we're we're abused but i would say that we're um mistreated in a way that uh by each other possibly where where we see so many things that that aren't genuine and we almost question mm-hmm. things that we see now more than we ever have or things that we read as well so i think that I understand that that thought and why people need validation and why they would need um, that to come from a higher power. But to me, it sounds like you're putting together this structure that basically can um, ensure that uh, people get correct information and they're able to hear it from a source of knowledge, right? Absolutely. Are you going to believe your own lying eyes? You know, when, when something, you've seen something or heard something or felt something, um, it really comes down to, do you trust yourself in what you've seen uh, when, when you're having an encounter or have had an experience? So it, it, it's profound because it'll, you, you recognize yourself and you, you sit down and you say, did I really see that? Uh, did I really experience that? And, and you replay it in your mind over and over. And you know what? No matter what it is you decide, once you start asking those questions, having had that experience, it's okay. And the reason it's okay is because you did it alone. Nobody walked in there and told you nothing to see here, move right along. Or, no, you didn't really see this. You saw this other thing. Uh, to hell with that. We, I'm sorry to be so blunt, but uh, we are shaking off those shackles of having been told what it is we're supposed to see. You know, we've been programmed. And waking up and getting deprogrammed can be a tough process. But, but you know, once you have those experiences of making your own contact, 
uh, and you uh, you slide out of the uh, the sleep and, and open your eyes, you you eventually adjust and you kind of enjoy having that power. Uh, I know after I had my first cup of experience, I wanted to do it again and again. And I know this is true of lots of people that I talk to in my community. So you're just off and running. You know, like I say, maybe tough in the beginning because you have to shift your paradigm. You, know, you have to take your power back, open your eyes, wake up and question yourself about what you saw. But then you try it again. You try it again. And as you continue seeing or experiencing and realizing you have the control to make this contact and that you successfully do it, you feel really good about yourself. And I think that this is paradigm shifting. It's, it's life changing. It was, it was for me. It causes you to, to change your perspective on the world because you have all this cosmic information that has now come in that basically says, I know we're not alone. I just proved it because X just happened to me. How the hell do I <laughs> fit this into my framework now? If I had a cosmic framework before, it's going to kind of fit in real easily. If I had a really narrow viewpoint that we're alone or that my religion has told me that uh, these beings are demons or that I didn't really see what I saw, well, then I'm going to have a little bit of a, a harder time assimilating what just happened. Uh, but again, no matter what it is you decide happened, it, it, it's yours in the end. And that's fine because you're off and running to being your own sovereign being. I mean, you always were that, but the recognizing that you're, you're, you're your own sovereign being and you can never listen to authorities the same way ever again. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. From the ground up, what does the footprint of the People's Disclosure Movement look like? And um, what's the timeline going to look like? I'm not sure uh, what you mean from the ground up and the timeline. If you could be more specific. I, I know, you've, I've know, I know you've already started this, but I want to know, um, you know, from, from the ground level, from, from where you first started, um, how did that happen and how have you kept it rolling, you know, for, for this, ah. this certain period of time? And then what's the timeline going to look like in the future? Okay. Uh, I think it's helpful when I get asked that question to, to tell people about my, my first experience because it helps people understand that I'm nobody special. I'm an everyday person just kind of doing extraordinary things, which um, other everyday people can do as well. So by telling my own story and how it affected me, I think it, it helps uh, people understand why I reacted and wanted to start, start a movement and organize afterwards. You know, and I'm not saying everybody's going to want to do that, but that's just me because that was in my makeup, having been an activist in the 60s and 70s. It was real natural to have my first contact experience and then want to teach other people and organize them to, to do it themselves. So that was my pathway. Uh, about me and about that first experience, let me just say um, as a, a baseline, my background, when I grew up in the Midwest um, in the 60s and 70s, um, especially in the 60s, there were not many books. There was the contacting movement that happened in the 50s and the Georgia Damskys of the world and the others just really uh, set that off. And there were just, a, from my point of view, just a few books available. When I was nine or 10, I, I picked up a UFO book for the first time and saw a saucer on the cover and flipped in through the pages back when there was no Photoshop nor no ability to really easily fake photographs. 
and I was just gobsmacked when I saw these different crafts and the pictures people had taken and the stories they were telling. Um, along the way to finding that very first book and, and just having the, the light bulb go on for me, uh, I had always been interested in science fiction, um, in astronomy. I had a telescope and was out in my backyard uh, in Indiana. Um, I um, was interested in the NASA of the day, you know, the, the, the Mercury, Gemini, Apollo programs, all of that. My eyes were towards the stars and just feeling like there's a big universe out there and I just want to know everything I can about it. So I read science fiction, I pull out my telescope, I look at moonshots, you know, it, it was just really exciting. So when that first UFO book came, I was uh, smitten. I read all I could, but uh, I changed courses. I was only 10 or 11, 12, I don't remember exactly. And I just had a conventional life where afterwards where I you know, went to school, got a degree in computer science and minor in math, and uh, came out to California uh, in 1980, uh, got married, had kids, got divorced, got remarried, and had a almost 40-year career in Silicon Valley as an independent software consultant. Uh, very natural kind of conventional stuff. Um, but in 2006, that changed when I was surfing on the internet and and wondering, I had a little bit of time on my hands, and I wondered, well, where's the UFO field gone uh, since I was a kid? And boy, it was like drinking from a fire hose, as you can imagine. Here it is, 2006, the internet's chugging along, and you you put UFO in a search engine, you get a million results and it's like you're clicking everywhere and there's fake stuff, there's phony stuff and there's real stuff and it just all comes at you. Uh, but again, I was smitten when that happened and I discovered a group that goes to um, Mount Shasta for um, a week and Mount Shasta is here in Northern California and they spend a week going under the stars and learning how to communicate, how to actually contact star beings, uh, not just to passively wait and hope that they'll have uh, an experience someday. And I have known people that had their own experiences, people that I trust and I believed, and these were dramatic. So I was already a believer. But um, with this group of 40 or 50 people, the, uh, the real icing on the cake was that you go out with them and using consciousness and meditation and visualization, you initiate the contact you're active, you're not just passive, you're, you seek it out, you say, I'm here, I'm open, um, let's talk. So I did that for a week, um, and I should say that before I left, I invited my wife uh, you know, to come join me in this new adventure, and her response was, well, uh, I, I, I know that they exist, uh, I believe in all this, it's a big universe, there's, there's life out there, but I have my own self-employed business to run and I need to, to take care of that and um, I don't understand what what's going on up there with uh, ET what it has to do with my daily life so I totally understood that I got that and with her support and believe me a lot of people don't don't get that kind of support uh, from their mates or their family but I was fortunate enough that I did so knowing all that I went off for this week and um, was making contact um, every night in the sky. We were learning how to identify what was up there, uh, what was 
satellites, aircraft, traffic, uh, planets, stars, and meteors. And then once we eliminated all that, then we could realize we had something anomalous. So we were seeing anomalous things, and they were flashing back in sequence to us as we flashed our lights at them and behaving in zigzag patterns and doing all these anomalous things that uh, I believe showed they were being piloted by intelligent beings. So this was all really very exciting. Uh, Sometime during that week, after our group uh, finished that evening's activities, uh, I'd say about 10 of us still hung around in this clearing that was at the foot of Mount Shasta. Um, Other people were going to their cars and driving back uh, uh, to their motels for the night. Uh, And we were just talking about what happened during the night. Uh, Someone tugged on my sleeve and pointed and over at the edge of this, the clearing where we were standing, and there was forest there that went out after, uh, beyond the clearing. But about, I'd say, six feet, maybe eight feet from me, as they tugged at my sleeve and pointed, uh, I looked to where they were pointing, and I kind of rubbed my eyes just to make sure that um, there wasn't a trick of the moonlight or shadows or foliage or, or whatever. And, and it wasn't. But what I was watching was the materialization slowly of what looked like about a six-foot sphere, maybe five-foot. I didn't actually take out a tape measure. Uh, uh, It was a sphere that that looked opaque and gray to my eyes, and it was just kind of like dissolving or uh, materializing into being and getting more solid as all of us watched it. It never became so solid that I felt like You know, you could um, see shiny metal or something, but yet it was definitely there. It was round and it was hovering a few inches above the ground and it was all noiselessly. Uh, There were no other environmental effects, no sound, no no wind, um, again, no noise, no vibration, but it was just there. And again, to my eyes, it was opaque, so I couldn't see in it, but uh, damn, that shouldn't have be happening is what I thought, but here I am and I'm believing my lying eyes, you know, and I'm with nine other people who are seeing the same thing. So I figured, well, either we're all having a mass delusion, which I think rarely happens, or we're actually seeing something that um, none of us expected. So hang on, let's see what happens. Well, it hung on, it stayed there for about half an hour. Um, Nobody thought to take a picture. I thought to walk over a few feet and maybe touch it and then thought better of that because I said to myself, look, I, I don't know what kind of energy I'm playing with. I, I, I just better be cautious. So I, I stood my ground and kept staring at it. A few minutes later, one of the people from the opposite edge of our group uh, said out loud to all of us, hey, I just got a telepathic message from the beings that are inside uh, this craft that we're looking at. Uh, and that got our attention. So we're wondering, well, okay, what did they say? And this person responded, um, they tell me that they're scientists and that they are here to study human energy systems, like study our auras, our electrical nadis, our, our grid. Um, and I go, oh, great. Uh, we're somebody's PhD thesis. <laughs> <laughs> from somewhere out in the universe. And, and we're the field research, right? You know, I, And I'm just, I'm kidding about that. I'm being a little bit flippant because I have a, a warped sense of humor. But, 
But that was kind of an interesting thing to hear. Like, they're scientists. None of us felt paranoid or afraid. Uh, evil aliens? No, none of that. But we were just gobsmacked. Like, okay, what is this? What's going to happen? And then this message came. Okay, they're research scientists. And here's where it got even more interesting. There was a woman whom I'll call Gloria standing next to me. And she was a really good psychic I had learned. And I had become friends with her during the the week that we had um, uh, been up there experimenting with our contact. I turned and I looked at her to my right. And Gloria was standing up straight, stiff as a board. um, And her arms... um, were out at 45 degree angles bent and their hands parallel to each other, just, um, just held out in space like that. And she was like that for half an hour. Um, try holding your hands out and your arms out extended for half an hour. Right. I think maybe seals are taught to be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I looked at her and I go, okay, something weird's going on. And um, I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to interrupt what it was. But I stayed close by to her there, just a a foot or two away, keeping an eye on her in case I saw some sign of distress. I'd be right there close by to to help. Well, for that half hour, she just stood there, not moving, until she moved and uh, just started kind of crumpling or being unsteady on her feet. And I grabbed her by the shoulders realizing that something had just happened. And I was saying, Gloria, you know, hey, how many fingers am I holding up? What's your name? You know, where you are? And she responded all in the affirmative and said, you know, I'm going to be all right. And then I asked her, what happened? And she said that because she was um, psychic and open in that way, she got a telepathic message from one of the beings inside this uh, small sphere craft that we'd been watching um, I don't know if it was male or female. I don't recall if she said, so I'll just call it it, like in a neutral way. But um, it said to her, do you mind if I merge with you and examine your uh, your energy system as part of my research? Now, all this was going on while she was standing there. None of us knew this. So she's telling me this story after the fact, right? So... She's filling in all the details that I was wondering about. But she said the being asked her, may I merge with you? And, you know, to her credit, not many people I think could say, would do this. But she said, okay, but I have three conditions. And this is, again, to her credit, because who would have their, who would have their act together so well that they're going to say yes to this unknown being, unknown energy, to merge with them. And then they're going to have them sign a contract mentally and say, okay, I've got three conditions. Okay. She did that, and um, the conditions were that um, the first one was that she remained conscious of her surroundings. She didn't want to like be knocked out and, and just unaware, and the being said, okay to that, you'll stay aware. Uh, the second condition was she said, you're going to leave when I tell you to leave my body. Well, you know, that's just the way it's going to be. I'm sovereign in my own space, and the being agreed to that. And the third condition was, she said, um, I don't want you messing with my sex organs. <laughs> no probing of oh. that kind. That, and, w- that uh, would have been number, number one for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think you're alone there. <laughs> <laughs> that probably would have been the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 
<laughs> I totally understand. And again, the, the being agreed to that. So uh, the fact she was there and she was okay and coming to her senses and, and all that was, uh, was a good sign. And later on, later uh, the following day when we were in the afternoon group where we uh, review our experiences from the night before, she, she told the group of us, about 40, 50 of us, uh, the same story she had told me there right, at, right in the moment when, when it happened. So here's the bottom line. Um, oh, but I, I should mention that as she finished her story, this fear started dematerializing, started doing a slow dissolve into the background, getting you know flimsier and flimsier to our sight, and then it was just gone. So it came, it stayed, it experimented, it talked to us a little bit, telepathy, and it left. That was the experience for, for that half hour. And here's what I took away from that was, one, I just had my own experience. I totally believe what I saw. Nobody's going to talk me out of this. I don't care who they are. This was real for me. And, oh, my God, all the physics I've ever been taught that what I just experienced should not have happened. It's not possible. And yet it happened. And if it can happen once to somebody ordinary like me and my other nine cohorts there, then this is a bigger universe than there are laws we don't know about. Uh, because if it can happen once, it's probably happening somewhere else to other people. It's just totally possible that this thing can materialize and then leave and do it all noiselessly. Okay, um, this really expanded my mind. And finally, what I thought was, I want more of this. Um, I'm cool with this. I grew up with science fiction, you know, and beings from other universes and planets and all kinds of adventures, and I just had my own adventure. So I'm going to run with this. I want to teach other people how to do this. I want to organize people, and that's how eventually ET Let's Talk was born from my experience. And what I did was I got on social media, told the story I'm telling you now, as well as a couple others. Uh, there's one that happened for my wife actually during that same week. And I can tell you that if, if you want, because it's pretty profound. Um, but I told my story online and thanks to the internet, uh, people started signing up. They started learning how to do it. They started sending reports, um, got on social media, uh, did very typical things, created a group and used the internet, social media to tell the story. People found us, they told their friends, the community kept growing and growing and growing. And we've stuck with it throughout these years. And um, one thing I did was I organized and continue to organize an event every month that brings the whole community together on a Saturday in a 24 hour period when the, uh, the new moon gives us the darkest sky. So it's a different Saturday every month. And we've done this for almost nine years now, every month, but it's, it's where the whole community comes together. No matter where we're located, just in consciousness, we connect with each other visually and in our hearts. And as a united group of peaceful human beings, we, um, we invite our star visitors, come be with us, to, uh, to connect with us, uh, that we're peaceful and we're not representatives of any government that wants to shoot them down and cut them apart and study them. So we are this community of peaceful humans, finally, that are welcoming 
these visitors and saying basically we want we want to be cosmic humanity. Um, so we've been doing that every month, and, and of course people are doing daily and weekly contact as much as they want on their own in the community every day, every hour, all the time. But this special time, 24 hours, is when the community just comes together and we acknowledge each other as um, uh, as a group, and we actually meet on social media too. Many friendships have been formed, and etc. So our Repeated contact daily, weekly, and monthly, like I've been saying, is what over time has created a group field, uh, um, if I may get metaphysical here, of, um, of welcome and invitation. And um, I've gotten information from our star friends that this concerted effort of ours over this period of time has built such a group, a big field, and so many people are now doing um, this contact or have become believers and know someone who has, that that's why the people's disclosure that I referenced earlier occurred early in 2019. And that so many people now believe that no government can ever cover this up. And uh, I have some research that I've found to back that up and I can tell you about that too. Um, I hope that answers your question. It was kind of a long answer, but, uh, but it's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> it's a great answer. And I think you brought up a good point right there at the end that uh, there is so much that has happened. How could any government possibly cover it up? I mean, um, so was your wife's experience, was it related to yours? What did, did that first experience that you had actually, was there some causation there or was hers different? This was a, a separate experience. Um, and I think it happened after mine did, maybe the day after. Uh, I was in the habit when I, when I was there during that week of, of calling her in the morning back home here. I knew exactly when she would be having her coffee at 6.30 in the morning. So I would call her and tell her all the amazing things we'd seen the night before. Is, you know, I was like a kid in a candy shop and things were happening that were cool that I'd never seen. And, and she was very interested in, in hearing about this. So we were discovering this together. Um, except she was at a distance and just hearing the story. Well, along, I think about the fourth or fifth morning, as I was beginning, I called her and I was beginning to tell her about the previous night. She stopped me and she said, wait a minute, I got something to tell you. And I thought in my mind, what could be more exciting than what I saw last night? This better be good. And it was. She told me that um, the previous night in our home, in our bedroom, she had just turned out the light and was, uh, as she would say, scooching down under the covers, trying to get comfortable. And um, uh, I, I should mention that my wife is a professional clairvoyant, so she has a lot of inner psychic sight, but she made sure to tell me, as she's telling me the story that I'm relating right now, that in the dark there, with her physical eyes, this was not a psychic thing, but with her physical eyes wide open and awake, as she scooched down in the dark, she looked at the foot of the bed. Suddenly, there at the foot of the bed were four beings, maybe five, a fifth one maybe behind the four in front. Um, the edge of the bed occluded, uh, hid, hid the lower half of the beings. But what she could see was they were three and a half-ish, maybe four feet tall. They were white, um, big round heads. She couldn't see detailed features, but she said there were eyes. 
skinny necks. Uh, there was a torso with the skinny arms, and she presumed there were, I guess, skinny legs that were being hidden by the, the edge of the bed. So they were materialized enough that the physical bed was actually uh, preventing her from seeing the rest of them. So they weren't, I don't think, a, a projection or anything. Um, but there they were. There were four beings staring at her and maybe a fifth just staring at her, like with, with no, uh, no advance warning. And she was just uh, gobsmacked. And she, when she tells this story, she makes sure to say that even though she was a NASA geek like I was back in the 60s, because we're I'm about four years older than she, but uh, we grew up around the same time. And she was really into the space program, but she was not of the imaginative variety of person that she was interested in science fiction or astronomy or whatever. She just didn't know anything about the topics, had no interest, um, unless it was about a rocket, a few human beings going up to the moon, and that was it. So it had never occurred to her that what she was, the beings she was seeing at the edge of the bed there could ever happen. This was just not in her reality, like, oh, someday I hope to see an alien. Um, just not part of her makeup, and yet there they were, the, the, the star beings. So she was not afraid. She said she was startled and speechless. And she often says she's not, she's not often speechless. There were waves of love that she could feel, love, coming off of them and enveloping her. And it felt really great. So she said while she was startled, uh, she was not afraid. She didn't know what to say, couldn't say anything. And in her mind, she heard them address her and what they said, and this is the intonation she uses that, that, um, that they used, how it sounded to her. Who are you? Who are you? Hmm. They were wanting to know who she was. <laughs> and she didn't know what to say, um, but she felt the love, right? And she says they stared at each other. And so finally she did think I should ask them something. And she'll relate that to this day, that the question she should have asked and that she would ask next time was, how'd you get here? <laughs> Instead, she said, where are you from? And slowly in her mind, again, telepathically, and in, in this intonation that I'm going to use, uh, the reply came back, Artura. Arcturus. And um, she didn't know what that was. And by the by, they faded out and they were gone. And she went to sleep. I don't know many people after an encounter like that who'd be just like, oh, okay, no. <laughs> I'm done. I'm going to go to sleep now. I'm cool. We're cool. <laughs> but that's how neutral and not into this she really was. Even though she's open-minded, it just didn't um, scare her, unnerve her. It was like, okay, here's something I'm going to tell Costa tomorrow morning. And that she did. And as she finished the story, you know, my jaw was hitting the ground. I thought I had some cool stuff to tell her about lights in the sky I had seen. Um, but she had a visitation like that. And it was a real positive, uh, really beautiful one. And what my wife Hollis said at that point was, you know, now it's personal with me. 
it wasn't personal before, but it's personal now. They showed up, and I'm coming with you next year, wherever, when you return. So uh, I always give a shout-out to these Arcturians uh, for showing up there because they brought her into the fold of what I'm doing and being interested to where she want, wanted to participate rather than, rather than just being intellectually uh, supportive. And, and in fact, she had said to me, uh, I forgot to mention, when she told me the story, she goes, Costa, Arcturus, is that a place? And I go, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's Astronomy 101. <laughs> it's a super red giant yeah. in the constellation. And I know I'm not pronouncing this right. I may be getting it wrong. Uh, Butes. Um, it's Latin. But anyway, it's a super red giant. It's a thing. It's a star, Arcturus. And you can find it in the sky. So it's a place, yeah. She goes, well, you know, I might have heard, maybe I made that up. Maybe it came out of my subconscious. I, I might have heard that word somewhere along the line and forgot that I knew it and it just bubbled up in that moment. But she says, I don't really think so. I mean, with my own eyes, I had saw these beings and experienced and I heard their voices in my head. I, she's inclined to believe that she really heard them say Arcturus was where they're from. So wherever they are, I want to thank them for following, we believe following my energy, my thoughts of what I was doing up at Mount Shasta, uh, following it back home to our home in the San Francisco Bay Area, and maybe to just kind of looking at the other end of who it was I was connected with and talking to so much. Uh, they were curious, and that's why they showed up and said, who are you? Like, you know, we got this far, now we want to see see who this guy's been talking to. This has been pretty intense every day. You know, we're speculating about that part. Some connection was made. So she had her experience that's undeniable, that changed her uh, and opened up her framework of, of what she believes. And I had my experience too that motivated me to start organizing other people and teaching them how to have their own experiences. So those are our origin stories that kind of mesh together, mine and my wife's. That's incredible. Did you have any follow-ups, any other experiences later on? Did I? Or yeah, did, did uh, you, she, yeah. Or, did you either one? Of you? Um, yeah. Yeah, we did. We had, uh, I'll try to make this uh, shorter. Um, <laughs> it's a good, few years good stories. <laughs> good stories, Costa. Well, you know what? It's the, uh, And I, I want to say it's the stories, not just the ones that I have, but that people in the community have when they experience something and they tell it to someone who will might halfway believe them, who's open-minded. It's what makes all the difference. You know, you can cite all the statistics you want about how there should be life in the universe based on Drake's formula, Drake's equation, this and that. And that's a great intellectual exercise. But when you have your own experience and somebody who trusts you that you're not making it up or deluded or on drugs or something, someone listens to you and you make that connection, that's profound. That's how this disclosure movement has grown person by person is by people actually making their own contact in some way, um, just as it happened to me. Um, so you asked me, did happen, something else happen again? Yeah, there, there are many occasions when uh, we do retreats at etletstalk.com where we now go out for six days and nights and teach others to make contact, often uh, a star being will come into our circle and multiple people who are 
psychic and energetic and energetically sensitive will go over and they can feel the contours and the beings will sometimes merge and give them you know pleasant experiences in the heart um but that's not everybody i'm not that person that can feel it that way and yet i do trust and believe when i see two or three of my friends suddenly get up from our circle where we're sitting there at night and happily exclaim that they can feel a being there that sometimes telepathically talks to them but they can feel the contours the energy signature it just doesn't come in the visible spectrum and i don't know all the reasons why that might be because the rest of us who aren't the feelers and the energetic energetically gifted people are sitting there going hey we want to see um but that hasn't happened so far and i don't pretend to know i don't have all the answers why that doesn't happen but as far as multiple beings coming in multiple occurrences over the years that does happen now uh the next thing i'm going to tell you though is uh with a little bit more proof that really uh delighted me and that is that um uh, a, a few years after uh, my first encounter we uh, we were out of with another group meditation and again there were about 40 people we had just finished um just finished meditating um it was a starry night a clear night and uh we had uh, seen some flashes in the sky and had some orbs we saw in the trees you know things were happening um there was um uh, one of the gentlemen had a camera on a tripod in the middle of our circle and he had an uncanny ability to always be taking pictures where something was going to happen a second before everyone else knew so he was always coming up with uh great pictures of uh things that look like craft in the sky uh so there he had the camera on a tripod and as we're coming out of meditation um and he's in the middle of the circle he suddenly yells out hey look over there between Hollis and Costa Hollis being my wife we were sitting next to each other in the circle and keep in mind um this area was totally dark uh we had national forest behind us we had turned out the lights of the the home where we were uh, on whose property we our group was assembled so it was pretty much pitch dark and yet this person was yelling out look there between Hollis and Costa and i whipped my head around and i didn't see anything it was just darkness behind me and Hollis turned around and only saw darkness too but uh this person who said that said come look at the camera so we got up and everybody else got up and we formed a line and this was just a a, a really good uh digital camera on a tripod with the flip out viewfinder the kind of camera all of us have used a million times uh and as we lined up we looked at the viewfinder because that's where this person who called out was pointing to and and the camera was pointed right at where Hollis and I were sitting at the edge of the circle so he had been looking right at us uh with the camera um when you looked out in the distance there where we had been sitting as we're standing there lining up to look through the viewfinder where it's where the camera's pointing you look with your physical we looked with our physical eyes to where the camera was pointing and it's still dark where our chairs were there's nothing there but when you looked in the viewfinder you could see a full color picture of a humanoid form right there 
in um, blue, brown, orangish colors with the torso and what looked like clothing on it and a head with maybe some headgear and some features. Everybody saw that who lined up, every person. Um, and it was just amazing because you're standing there, you look up from the camera, there's nothing but dark, but you look down at where the camera's pointing and in the viewfinder and only in the viewfinder, you see this full on picture. Uh, that's where I believe uh, we had an energetic being show up. And actually, it's a little bit of a longer story, but we had had a friend tell us that um, an ET contact she had had promised that they would show up for Hollis and me uh, during that night in some way. And this actually had happened before, but we had seen this particular star being shipped in the sky signaling to us and doing these crazy zigzag patterns. So our expectation that night had been, oh, this being is going to show up in the sky. And we hadn't seen anything like that from, from the past. So I had been disappointed, like, oh, we had a no-show until this particular experience happened where this being, we were told, actually showed up on the ground. Now, was it a holographic image? Was the being actually there? I don't know, but... I know what my lying eyes did, did show me. They weren't lying, and no, neither was anybody else's. There was something there in the viewfinder, and I've got a picture of it, too, and uh, I, I share it with people. So that's one of my answers to, uh, yes, there was a follow-on experience. It was pretty remarkable. Yeah, remarkable indeed. Um, there's suggested research, 1.3 billion people believe in alien civilizations, and, of course, um, we have no idea how many have been contacted and, uh, right. should we contact them? I sure believe it. Uh, uh, we've, uh, had across the board, positive experiences. Um, they contact us in, in a lot of ways. It's not just the lights in the sky, but although those are very cool and I still enjoy seeing the ships up there and they're very aware of us and they communicate and they flash and they move around in order to let us know they're not, uh, not normal. Uh, they communicate in other ways, uh, via telepathy. People will get messages. They'll have lucid dreams where star beings appear. Um, and all of the above has happened to me though. They'll have, some people will get a touch on the knee that when no one's around or on the shoulder, or weird electrical phenomena will happen. Like we've had smartphones that were turned off right there in the field, turn themselves on and start playing some kind of cosmic song that was in the playlist. Um, mm. And it goes on and on. In my community, people have all kinds of experiences. And for the most part, they've been positive or neutral. And in fact, um, Ray Hernandez and the Free Group have done a study of, I think, of 5,000 people who answered a lot of questions on a questionnaire about their experiences. And that study showed that, um, and it was done in a rigorous mathematical way uh, to prove the point that, uh, well, actually just to discover what they was to discover, not to prove any point, but what they discovered was the respondents, the four or 5,000 people that were part of this uh, research were experiencers. Uh, reported that by and large, 80 or 85% of their uh, experiences were positive uh, or neutral. Um, now, the remaining percent um, 
very across the board and uh, people can read that report and see what they make of that. But by and large, the answer I would say would be yes, uh, because that has been um, our, uh, our, our experience that we get uh, positive messages or neutral and it just keeps continuing as long as we want to keep making the contact. Um, I can tell you another story here about um, a profound message I got that really set the tone for me. And, and that was, we were again with another group on Mount Shasta uh, up at the, I think about the 6,000 foot level in a huge open field there. And it was a, uh, a misty night with cloud cover, but still our large group of 50 people was out there in a big circle doing the meditation, doing protocols to, uh, to, to connect. And as we finished the meditation, uh, again, my wife, who was sitting next to me there in the circle, tugged on my sleeve and pointed overhead. Um, after this 40-minute meditation, there was suddenly a circle of clear sky right above the group, way up there. Now, the rest of the sky was still clouded, and there was no wind. But this circle was just black sky with stars shining through. Um, and this is not the first time since then that that has happened when a group meditation will result in um, kind of creating a hole in the sky so that we can see, or through the clouds rather, so that we can see the sky. Well, this, this was the first time I experienced that. So the whole group looked up, we saw that, and there was a, uh, a blinking light right up there, right overhead in this black space, just pulsing. And it wasn't a star, it didn't belong there. It was pulsing at us, uh, bright flashes. Um, and slowly, as... Um, as we stared at all that, over the course of the next minute or two, this white, wispy um, vapor started coming out of the blackness of space there in that circle that, that was dark, just kind of coming on and getting thicker and thicker, kind of like you might see a dry ice, you know, that special effect, like if you're at a, a concert or something and then the, and the, the smoke kind of comes up. That's kind of what was happening up there, and it was getting thicker and thicker. And after that minute or two, it had formed a shape. And my wife says, it's a heart. And as you looked at it, it was a huge heart. You know, that the typical Valentine's Day kind of heart uh, in white, sitting in that black area where it had, there had been nothing there before except that pulsing light and a few stars, right? There was suddenly a cloud, a cloud heart that we watched form. And we're sitting there kind of gobsmacked. And from across the circle, somebody yells out to us. Uh, there always seems to be someone who gets a telepathic message, by the way, and I'm glad that they verbalized it. Well, this happened again. Someone yelled out and said, I just got a telepathic message from the beings up, up above there. And they said that they love us. Wow. And there was that heart there. So I saw that with 40, 50 other people. It you can't make that up. And it, uh, it has a profound effect or it did on me. And I thought, okay, this is who I'm in touch with. And this is who I want other people to be in touch with. So I'm going to continue doing this work and promoting the idea that, um, uh, that these contacts are by and large positive. Many different civilizations are here. They're here out of concern for our planet and what we're doing to it, because frankly, we're on the edge of extinction uh, as a human species and we may take the ecosphere with us. 
But um, not only that message, but other messages we've gotten since then are, are specifically, we're here to help you. We have not intervened because of the prime directive, because your species has to grow and find its own way and solve its own problems. So aside from, uh, we know that uh, the ET beings, our star friends, have stopped nuclear war from happening. They told us that, and there are some, some cases where people have proof of that, probably and multiple times. They've been allowed to stop a nuclear war that would take out the whole planet, but beyond that, they have not uh, been allowed to really intervene. So what are we to do? Well, we just learned that um, that prime directive, they are no longer observing. I got this information about um, a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, from um, my star friend contacts. And it was very simple. They said, because of the efforts of all these people all over the world requesting our help, asking us to intervene, even though we haven't been, aside from the nuclear war thing, there are so many of you now that are wanting help that we're no longer observing that prime directive. We are allowed to intervene in your affairs in a positive way and help you, but you need to request it of us and give us permission. So that is a game changer, and that's new news that I'm uh, spreading into our community now that uh, we're having massively more help because of our dire situation here on Earth than we've ever had before. And it just takes for us to reach out, make a request for some help in some area and give permission. And our star friends have said that they will respond. We have video of them cleaning up chemtrails, like literally watching an object zipping about up there with a chemtrail and just watching it vaporize and go away slowly as this object moves around. We've seen um, ships, uh, video of ships around Fukushima. They tell us that they're lessening the radiation. It could have been far worse. And it goes on and on. Uh, the, the basic idea is they are here to help and they can, they have technologies that can do things in a massive way that maybe we can't, but it's a partnership. And that's what I'm telling people in our community that the reason we're making contact and you had asked me, Cam, about where, where do we go in the future? Well, the future is here right now. They're allowed to intervene and we've reached and exceeded a tipping point where so many of us believe that this can never be covered up. The ball's in our court and we have a lot more power and a lot more help than we ever have before. So what do we want to do with it? We want to save our planet and asking for help from civilizations that may have gone through the, uh, the stages that we're going through and have survived, they probably have a lot of spiritual wisdom and compassion for us that we don't even have for ourselves. So now that they're allowed to help, our job is to continue our contact, to continue requesting help, and to continue partnering with them. Because someday, they have also said that they are ready. They're ready for full open contact. They're ready the nth degree. They, they've made their plans. There are many civilizations that cooperate with each other. But what they've told us is we humans are not ready. We're still fighting each other. We still will kill someone because their skin color is different. Uh, how are we going to welcome a being uh, 
it's maybe an insectoid or, or even if it's human looking, maybe it has different color skin. You know what I mean? It's the other. If we can't accept human beings for the other, are the other, uh, how are we going to respond to cosmic societies that are here that may not look like us? So we humans have got some work to do on ourselves to, uh, to be more tolerant and open. And when, we're, when we become ready and use goodwill to get along with each other more and more, um, I think that they will be fully willing to meet us here on the ground en masse and, and bring a lot of technologies that they have with them, like uh, free energy uh, that'll change the, the whole equation on our planet, um, medical technologies uh, that'll cure a lot of our most deadliest diseases, and, and on and on. Uh, there's a lot that they want to share, but again, we have to do our part and fix ourselves into more loving beings and evolve um, in order to meet them halfway there. Uh, what is the timetable of that? I don't know, but I know our planet doesn't have decades and decades and decades um, to, to go. So what I urge people in my community is keep making your contact, ask for the help, tell everybody you know, let's make this go viral. Um, here's another thing I know, and that is research that was done in the Netherlands um, at the end of 2015 and beginning of 2016 was the, the first of its kind and the largest of its kind that um, asked uh, a global audience, um, a demographic that pretty much represented humanity with different belief systems, different economic systems, uh, different populations, different geographies. They, they tried to get a snapshot uh, of humanity when they did this particular research. This research was centered around what are, you, what are the attitudes towards um, extraterrestrial life? And so they asked a lot of questions. And it was serious research where they assimilated the numbers and provided statistics and did it in a rigorous way. And people can download their PDF and see their methodology and see that this was a serious study. Two things that this study, two questions that it asked are what interested me and what I want to talk to your audience about. And that is one question was, do you believe star civilizations exist out there? Not just as microbes under a rock, but full on civilizations. And a certain large percentage, and I can't remember right now whether it's 40% or 60%, but a rather large percentage of the respondents to this uh, poll, to this research, research said, yes, we believe those civilizations are there. And the follow-on question to that was, okay, you believe they're there, should we be communicating with them? And again, a large percentage, and I don't remember if it was 40 or 60 I may be flipping one or the other, but again, it was a large percentage responded, yes. So uh, because I have a mathematical background, I, I took these percentages uh, to those two questions and I applied it to the global population of Earth, of adults between the age of um, uh, 18 and 64, 65 uh, at that time that the research was done. And I just extrapolated uh, with their percentages and what the world population of adults was at that time. I came up with the figure of 1.3 billion adults globally who believe that these star civilizations exist and that we should be contacting them. That's a sizable chunk of humanity. I would have, before I read this research and did some of the number crunching, I would never have believed it was that huge. But you realize how many people do believe. Now there are 7.8 billion people on the planet. 
So 1.3 billion means that, yeah, I'm a, only a minority of people believe in ET, right? And that we should be communicating. But that, that's, that's still huge. You know, it's not just you and 10 of your friends or two of your friends, and then you keep your mouth shut. You can open up this topic in many places, in many countries, to one degree or another, and you find people who are in that 1.3 billion group. And that's really exciting. Uh, and it's growing all the time because every, I won't say everyone, but many of those adults in that 1.3 billion group are influencers. Uh, they're adults. They may be influencing their children um, or a mate or a friend or a colleague at work and speaking up about their positive views and having that other person become convinced. So that 1.3 billion, I believe, is a conservative figure because, again, a certain number of those people are talking to people in their environment, in, in their daily life, and convincing them that life exists. So this, this large, that extraterrestrial life exists. So this 1.3 billion number, again, I think is a little bit conservative. And it's still really great news. And with that knowledge, we go forth with a lot of um, uh, confidence that we're on the wave of cosmic humanity. Those of us who are making contact right now Again, as you ask me what the future of this movement is, we're just the first wave. I think there's bigger waves behind us uh, of people who are open to this and who will want to make contact. And someday we will be ready enough that these civilizations will, will know that um, it's time to come out in the open en masse and be with us. So we're working towards that goal. I also think that 1.3 billion is a conservative number if you looked at that statistically. And, you know, there's always a margin of error, plus or minus. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a minus. I think that, uh, you know, there's probably a margin of error, maybe 500 million, who even knows. But um, as, yeah. as you know, um, the more people you talk to um, and get to know, they, they start to loosen up. And, and basically, a lot of times you'll yeah. hear their own experience. And, um and they're even a lot more experiencers than we could ever imagine. Why do you think that the I, government has not told us or acknowledged well, it's a con- the existence? It's a control game. It's a it's a control game. Um, the cover up, if you believe what Eisenhower was saying when he lost control of the the, the dark programs that went into the the black budget and went deep and dark. And he acknowledged that, and he warned about the military-industrial complex. Um, It's all tied in together uh, with the UFO thing. Um, In the 50s, when the contactee movement started, and a lot of um, interest was was generated, there were thousands of people showing up at Giant Rock um, uh, every year, for many, many years, with this enthusiasm. But when all of this went dark in, in the 50s, per what Eisenhower said, uh, the reason is these con- control groups, the elites, wanted the technology for themselves. They, uh, they have downed some of these crafts. They reverse engineered some of them. And they realized that the energy or the, the way these are moving about are not on fossil fuels. So I believe the cover-up is it's about money and greed. Um, if if um, our star friends came out in the open 
and offered us free energy, which by the way, we have also experimented with, but a lot of these inventions that humans have come up with and, and how, on over unity and energy have been, a, have been suppressed too. But to the point of uh, what the star people can give us, um, yeah, if they showed up tomorrow and said, we have devices now that uh, will mean you can power your home, your car, your factory, your city, your nation, your planet for free, forever, for nothing, like no money. Um, look what a game changer that would be. You know, poverty would be ended. Uh, wars could be ended because people wouldn't be fighting over the, uh, the oil under someone else's sand or, or being territorial about things. Um, the cost of producing goods, the energy cost that goes into that um, would be drastically reduced. The work week could be reduced. Um, again, hunger would disappear. Uh, there's enough to go around for all of us, and it's a matter of distribution. But if you're the fossil fuel industry, the military industrial complex, you, you want cool weapons so that you can beat up on other nations and threaten them. And you want to keep all the money through greed uh, for energy to yourself to control the planet. So the cover-up has been engineered to keep us in fear via what Hollywood produces, you know, with evil alien movies, to keep us in fear and to keep us in control and to keep us dumb uh, and to give us disinfo so we're not sure what to believe because they do mix in real information with bogus information. So they keep us confused, fighting with each other about what's true, what's not. And that's just great because they can keep playing the fossil fuel game, keep building up their arsenals, uh, their underground bases, and, and all this. It, it's a control thing. Uh, if we really want a golden age, um, all those, uh, the, the control game has, has to be ended. I'm extremely grateful to have the founder of the Disclosure Movement, Costa McCreese. Tonight, sir, I absolutely want to give you the final word. I want to invite everyone who's listening here to come to etletstalk.com and uh, join for free. Membership is free. Uh, we have a map on there where you can place your location and have other people find you uh, who want to make contact and form groups. Uh, you can uh, upload your pictures, your videos, and find a community there of people who share their stories. And you can also find out about our retreats uh, that we hold in three places every year, um, as well as free webinars uh, that we put out uh, with people talking about their experiences. So I encourage people to, uh, to come to etletstalk.com, uh, join the People's Disclosure Movement, and tell somebody about it. Because uh, as I said at the top of this broadcast, the power is in our hands right now, and we are the media. Uh, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And at etletstalk.com, we're all about creating that future and bringing in our, our cosmic friends with us because they're ready to go and uh, we need to meet them halfway. So come join us. Let's create a future. Costa McCreese, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate this opportunity. My Alien Life Podcast. You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at podbean.com. And please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. 
My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records. Thank you.